guess what? He is still risen. Right? <laughs> Isn't that true? I'm glad. I'm glad. It is great to see you. We welcome you. And uh, we're just delighted that you have uh, decided to join us today. We also want to say hi live to Windsor. We uh, love you guys and thank you for joining us as well. Right now, it's just so beautiful out there. You know, I'm going to have something fun planned today. Okay, you should. It should be more of you, okay? <laughs> have some more coffee. How many of you like are, you already had two cups of coffee before you came here? Look at that. Three. Four, anybody? Wow, come forward. We need to pray right now that you will be. That's fun. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just great. Always the weekend after Easter. And some of you might have come back to Timberline who came last weekend and, and uh, don't have a clue where we're at and what we're doing. But we're in the middle of a series about Abraham. And it's called Blessed to Bless. We believe that when God blesses us, it's to bless others. And there's a reason for that blessing. And so we're trying to figure that out. However... <laughs> Abram, and they're still called Abram and Sarai at this point. Their names will be changed to Abraham and Sarah a little bit later. But this story today is just tough to tell you. It's just one of those stories where you just, why would God include this story in this book? You know what I mean? It just reveals so many tough things. But let me give you a little bit of history and a little bit of backdrop. I've called it the fugitive. Because of a gal named Hagar, who ends up being a fugitive in this story. Now, remember, if you were around a few weeks ago, we saw that Abram took his clan, animals, everyone, down into Egypt. Remember that? And what happened when they got to the border was that Abram got scared. Because the Bible says that Sarah is absolutely gorgeous. And he thought, if, if that Pharaoh sees Sarai, he's going to want her. And if she's my wife, he's going to kill me. So he said, Sarai, let's tell him you're my sister. So they agreed. And sure enough, the Pharaoh came in and took Sarai and put Sarai in his court. Most scholars believe that they did not sleep together at that time, but she was probably being groomed and prepared for that chamber. But anyway, before all that happened, plagues started coming into Pharaoh's household. And he figured out, there's something bad here going on. And I'm being punished because of what Abram said. It must be a lie. Sarai is not his sister. She's his wife. So Pharaoh was pretty upset. He sits down, Abram and Sarai, and says, Look, I get it now. This is your wife. Why didn't you tell me that to begin with? This is awful. I wouldn't have had anything to do with you. And he had given them tons of gifts, tons of animals. Uh, gold, uh, even a servant named Hagar he had given to Sarai. And he said, get out. I'm done with you. I don't want to see your face again. Leave. So they leave. And we pick up the story now where Hagar is with them as they travel out of Egypt. And today we have to deal with kind of two stories, Abram and Sarai and Hagar. But here's the question that I want to lead with. How do you respond in your life? What are your filters when something has been promised to you but never seems to happen, how many of you tend to be a little more impatient than most people? <laughs> okay. Some of you are like, come on, you should raise your hand right there. 
I'm, I'm, I'm pretty patient when it comes to certain things, but I'm not very patient in other things. And that's probably how all of us are, is we have these things that get us going more than others. But number one in your outline, write this down, okay, if you're taking notes. It's the back of your program there. Follow along. Welcome to a twisted but true story. Welcome to a twisted but true story. This, uh, this story has some wicked turns to it, and I'm going to try to explain it as we go for those of you who have never been exposed to this story. Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. I want you to notice that. She's blaming God here. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram, notice this, as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Now, there's several things that that happen here you need to be aware of. First of all, God had made a promise to Abram that he would have a son. And Abram really wants a son. Bad. Sarai is aware of this promise. They go back to the land of Canaan. Year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. Okay, year after year after year, nothing. That's a long time. So Sarah decides, you know what? I'm getting old, which she was. I'm taking matters into my own hands. I know a way we can do this. How about if I give you Hagar as a wife and you have a child with her? Now, here's the thing you need to know. Legally and culturally, this was absolutely normal. It was absolutely a standard that that culture used. As a matter of fact, if Hagar has a child, it would be considered Sarai's child. You need to also know that Hagar was basically a slave, a servant. As she's called in scripture, she's like a piece of property. She has no value. It's very sad and very wrong, and God does not condone it. But it's the reality of the scripture. Sarai felt maybe, and here's what I want you to wrestle with me. Sarai started to maybe feel like this would be God's way to let his plan happen. You know how you can sort of justify those little things and you think, I'm going to help God along because he's not quite doing it like he should? I'm just going to add, I'm, I'm not going to, I love God, I care about God, but I'm just going to add, I'm going to help him because he doesn't get the whole picture here. I'm getting old, he's made a promise, so let's, let's make that promise come true. God, thank you. You're welcome. So here's the sad reality. Sarai says, it says in that scripture I just read, the Lord has prevented me from having kids. Not true. She's going to have a son. But it wasn't yet in the timing of God. When, when you see in scripture concubines, second wives, all all this polygamy. God never condoned that. People sometimes say to me, well, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible, but God never said it was okay. It's because of the selfishness of men and the human nature that we have. And so please understand, they're twisting what God has said and what God has promised, and they're letting the cultural norms win versus the preferences of God. You with me? Okay. Sound like our culture? Yeah, people who say, you know, the Bible isn't relevant for today. I'm like, really? This is everything we deal with today. This is the kind of temptation we have all the time. And here's the thing. Sometimes when we're wanting an answer from God, 
there's three things. Sometimes God says yes, and I love it when he does, because when he says yes, you can just run. Sometimes God says no, and that means you better drop it. It's not going to happen. It's not meant to be. But here's the hard one for me. Sometimes God says wait. I would much rather he say no or yes, because then I have an action plan for both. But when he says wait, it is frustrating. So then it leads to, well, how long? Well, what else do I need to do? Because I'm a person of action. How many of you are people of action? So you say, wait until this happens? Okay, then I can jump in. Can I go knee deep? Can I go waist deep? I know you said don't swim, but I'm, I'm going to be in the water in case you say yes. So, so we, we, get, we get in this situation where our mind starts justifying our logic, sort of goes out the window. I was, I was in Best Buy the other day. I saw the cutest thing. And if you're here today, I loved it, okay? So... It's amazing how many, if I talk about people in the community, they come up to me after the service and go, that was us, you know. So this isn't anything bad, but it was just this cute couple. They had a stroller with the baby, and I was in the other aisle, and I heard him say, and they're over by the big screen TVs. Now, I mean the big ones. There's there's a whole bunch of TVs in there, but there's a couple sections where they have, like, whole featured TVs, and they're massive, like 80 inch or something like that. Um, I'm still trying to learn about my dumb TV. You know, let alone all these smart TVs that they have these days. But, but I heard him say, honey, that is the one right there. That would fit perfectly in that room. You know, that's what I've been dreaming about and thinking of. And, and she's got her hands on the stroller. She looks over at him, takes a hand, and she says, are you kidding me? Did you see how much that costs? And he's, oh, I know, but look, it's like $16 a month. And now I kind of slip over to hear the conversation. <laughs> it's kind of like she says, we can't buy food for three months if we do that. And he's like, the Lord will provide. <laughs> he didn't say that. I didn't see him walk out with the TV. I don't know what happened. I felt guilty and walked away. Okay. But we justify stuff. And, and our logic goes out the window. Sarah's, she's trying and I don't want to beat her up too bad about this because she's really trying to make the promises of God come true. One clue. You can't make God's promise come true. You can only receive it. Wow. All right. I, another thing here, that before we go to number two, I really wish Abram would have put his foot down when Sarai suggested this. Because when she said, you take Hagar, Abram said, okay, I will. I wish you would have said, no, I won't do that. That's not what God said. But if you go back to the promise when God says you're going to have a son, it didn't say it would be with Sarai. Bummer. That's what God meant, but it's not what it said. So Abram could be confused going, maybe this is how God's going to make this come to pass. So all this stuff. Number two, bad decisions lead to more bad decisions. Boy, how true is this, huh? Sometimes you make a bad decision and you get on that hill and you start sliding and it's the big snowball and you can't get it stopped and one thing leads to another. That's what's happening in this story right here in front of us. Verse 4, so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, this is awful, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. <laughs> How many of you know where this is going? This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. This is a, this is a cat fight. 
And, and it gets even worse. Because, again, try to understand the culture we're in. Hagar has never had anything. She's been dominated her whole life. She's controlled. Even though she might have had a nice life in the palace in Egypt, she still had no choices. She ate the food that was put in front of her, period. No complaining. She did what she was told to do. She's never been in a position of power or influence or authority. And all of a sudden, she's having the baby that Sarai wants, and it's Abram's baby. Good grief. She's got something growing in her stomach that is a God promise. She is somebody. So she's going into Sarai now like, nanner, nanner, nanner. And she's, she's letting Sarai have it. And Sarai's had enough. And she goes to Abram and is like, what, what were you thinking? What is going on here? And, and, and she has probably this horrible thing of being bullied these are so culturally relevant. And, and Sarai blames Abram. It's all your fault. And number three happens. This is tough. I just called it, why are relationships so complex? You know, when you have a friend, it can get complex. When you, if you choose marriage and you ha- have a, a spouse, it can get complex. How many of you realized a few years into your marriage that you did not marry that person? You married the whole clan. In-laws and outlaws, they're all there. They're all there, right? It's complex. You decide you want to have kids. Oh, it's wonderful most of the time. The challenges that we have. It's just relationships are complex. Look at what verse 6 says. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And, and this is true. When the Pharaoh gave Hagar to Sarai, That property belonged to Sarai, not to Abram. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she ran away. Man, really? This is, this is, okay, I want to be really careful. I'm just going to be honest about my feelings here. In in studying through all this, Abraham and Sarah, later on, they're like, they're big players in this book. Would you agree? I mean, the guy who walked with God? All this stuff. So, so I'm not going to like belittle them by attacking them too harshly. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the Levitical Law. They had no roadmap. Sometimes God was really chatty with them about expectation. Other times God was silent. They're doing the best they can. But I'm telling you, human nature kicked in right here. And the fact that Hagar was treating Sarai with contempt, and now she goes to Abram, and Abram says, Hey, this is your problem. Leave me out of it. Go attack her back is basically what he's saying. I wish he hadn't done that. But I think she feels licensed now to... And the Hebrew words here are harsh. She came down on Hagar. And Hagar was so devastated that leaving was better than staying. And you've got to get this. For her to leave, the safety of Abram's household meant she would die in the wilderness. That's how desperate. No one would take her. She's the property of someone else. She can't start over. It was more complicated than that. She can't protect herself. And she's going to somehow, she knows when she leaves, I'm done. My life is over. She's that low and that discouraged. So Hagar runs away. You know, we all have issues in our life that can get complex. I don't understand how human nature can be so mean to other humans. I don't know 
Sometimes I look at this world and I see how people can treat people and I just think, how in the world? But then I realize that I, I don't understand fully what's happened in people. Some of you have been terribly abused in your life. And anger is this, it's this deep and it's just one little motion and it just sets you off. And, and that's all you've known your whole life. There's so many reasons why we have a hard time controlling. And most of it's because the foundation of our life isn't solid. And, and this message is about talking about the foundation of who you are and who you are becoming. We like to build really nice houses with our skin and our bodies and our lives and image and what we drive and where we live. And we want everyone to think we've got it together. But what about the foundation? There's a nice house I have a picture of that I want to show you. And I want you to just say a price. And let's say this house is in Windsor, okay? Um, how much do you think that house is worth in a good neighborhood? Just give me a, just give me a number. 500000 465 So, okay, let's say between four and 500000 Um Let's just uh, agree that that be now. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to pan back and show you the real picture of the house from the street. This house had a foundation that sunk into a sinkhole. Now, if your realtor pulled you up to this house and said, I got a really good deal here going for you. Uh, Two dollars. <laughs> How much will you pay me? To doze it. Why? Because that house is not livable. That house is ruined. That house has to be destroyed. It has to be taken all the way down to nothing. Why? Because the foundation wasn't done right. The soil wasn't prepared right. And so many times I see this in, in people's lives, and mine included, where I want so bad to put that next floor on, and I want that, I want that something, but my foundation can't bear it. My integrity isn't quite there. My character isn't quite developed. And I just want to encourage you today to know that we are all in a journey where God is working on the core of who we are. Our heart, our thought processes, not just our image, but God's saying, hey, will you work on the foundation? Sarai and Abram, God is working on their foundation and they don't have it all together yet. That's why I trust this book as it tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. And today is the ugly. And there's abuse in this story. Number four. God meets us where we are. Aren't you glad? Wherever you are, God is there. Hagar is alone. She will die. There is no home, no shelter. There's no other option. This is the end for her. There's total desperation. I don't know that anyone in these rooms are there right now, but you might be. And if you are, you really need to hear the next part of this story because it's powerful. Verse 7. It says the angel of the Lord. But sometimes Jesus himself, before he came to the earth and died on the cross, presented himself as an angel to people in the Old Testament. This is Christ coming to visit Hagar. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness. Along the road to Shur. I just love that sentence. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, look at this. Where have you come from and where are you going? <laughs> he knew. He knew, but he wanted her to say it. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, 
I will give you more descendants than you can ever count. Ishmael is about to be born to Hagar. The angel, if you read on, says, you're going to have a son named Ishmael. Ishmael has millions of descendants. This creates a huge discussion that we'll talk about at another time. But it's very powerful, this moment. Now Hagar suddenly can't believe it. She has value. This, this God has appeared to her. That's never happened to her before. And here's the irony of this that I want you to see. We're thinking that this story is about Abram and Sarai. This, that's the whole journey. It's Abram, go, walk, all this land, every step, it's yours. Hagar's not even in the picture for a long time. All of a sudden, God is ministering to this servant girl who has left the household of where the blessing is. Here's the point. God even loves the people that you don't like. God is willing to go and show up to those you despise. Why? Because He is God. And He has a plan for everybody, everybody, regardless. We don't get our head around that very good. But God loves people. That's why we're asked to pray for our enemies. It's hard to do that. But we're asked to. Why? Because God cares about them fully. Number five. God sees, hears, and redeems. I love this. I love this part of the story. It's very, very powerful. God sees and He hears and He redeems. In verse 13, it says, Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who spoke to her. And she said, You are the God who sees me. Just pause right there. I don't believe one day of Hagar's life to this point she had ever felt seen. And God saw her. And so she gives God a name. Think of this. You're the God who sees me. And then she she takes a little attempt at poetry. And in the Hebrew, it's a beautiful way that she says this next line. In English, it comes out okay. But it says, have I truly seen the one who has seen me? In other words, am I seeing the God who is the first God to ever see me? And there's this moment of eye contact. There's this moment of, I see you and you see me. And it's a beautiful story. The biggest proclamation I could make today, wherever you are in your life, is this. God sees you. God sees you. Don't ever forget that. I don't care how lonely you feel. So let me do some takeaways. I I, I do this for me personally, and sometimes I put them on here, and sometimes I don't. I had six or seven. I think there's four here, but things I should be thinking about. So do you ever think about what you should be thinking about? Okay, that, that's my little attempt at poetry, okay? <laughs> thinking about what you should be thinking. I hope you'll take these four things and put them on your dashboard or refrigerator or something just, just this week to say, how is my thinking? And the first one is this. Am I trusting God or am I trying to play God? Am I really trusting God or am I 
kind of getting in the, in, the, in the seat of God. Because if God doesn't quite do it the way I want, then maybe I'll just sit in his chair and make my, my decisions for myself. I've done that. I've done it not even fully knowing that I was getting ahead of God. But this is about trust. I, uh, I know trust and faith are very interesting. I, I love the old movie. I was thinking about it this week. I was reminded of it actually in a meeting I was in of Indiana Jones. How many of you remember him? Godly man, somewhere in the Old Testament. Um, no, kidding, kidding. So Harrison Ford is in this cave. He's finding his way, navigating his way through. And he comes to this big drop-off, and there's no way forward. And you think it's over. There's no way across this. But he takes this huge step of faith, and he steps out into nothingness. And boom, as he steps, the road comes out to meet his foot. Take a look. I think you'll enjoy this. popcorn in the back both here and Windsor so help yourself <laughs> how many vote we just finished the movie forget the rest of the sermon go home and watch it number two am I careful to guard my relationships I think this is a huge takeaway from a message like this you look at at what Sarai became what who Hagar became who Abram became I don't think any of them are proud of who they became and it's all because of power, authority, misconceptions, misunderstandings. And, and sometimes we go through that. Sometimes we become someone we don't really want to be, and we shouldn't, and, and we feel bad about it. I just want to say, think about your relationships today. Who do you need to stay in love with? Who do you need to work at it with? How, I, some of you have stories where it's over, and you can't go back and fix it. I understand. But, but the relationships you do have, will you choose to do justice in them, to do rightly in them, to make great decisions. Wow. Guard your heart. Number three, ask the question, do I repay pain with pain? A- am I a revenge person? Um, the phrase, you know, I don't get mad, I get even. Some people even say, I don't get even, I get advantage. <laughs> How are you wired? Why is this so important to you? Why does this push your button so much? It's, it's about offering this to God and saying, I'm not sure. Um, God's teaching us a better way. Stop the cycle of abuse. You know, it's, it's very scary. How many of you grew up with real serious abuse in your life? And I wouldn't want you to raise your hand. But it, it, maybe it's impacted you and, and you're abusive. I want to pray for you in a few minutes. And God can help you. The last thing in your notes is this. Do I see, hear, and redeem? This is probably, I don't know, this is where it all hits the road for me. If we serve a God who can go sit down by a stream where Hagar has given up on life and He hears her and sees her and redeems her, we can have a certainty 
that God wants us to do the same with those around us. Quick question. I don't know how you came to faith, but maybe I should ask the question like this. Who saw you? Who saw you? Was it grandma, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, neighbor? Who saw you? Who heard you? Who helped mentor? Who helped speak into your life? I have many names that come to my mind. But there's only one person who can redeem me, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. But we are to be that extension of the kingdom. God, bring your kingdom now to this earth. Let's be that extension. How will you live the rest of your life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing up at the stream so that Hagar wouldn't die alone. Thank you for giving her the promise. And thank you for somehow bringing this big web around to a story that you could redeem. It's complicated. What happens with Sarah? What happens when Abraham realizes that they jumped the gun and this wasn't your plan? And Wow. I don't know how you make sense out of our lives sometimes, God, but I'm glad you do. With heads bowed in here, we call this our living room because we talk about real life in here, and I don't want you to be embarrassed. One of these I'm going to have you lift your hand, and the others I'm not because they're pretty raw. But we're real at Timberline. That's a value that we have. So don't be afraid to be brutal, brutally honest. That's what changes hearts. If you feel alone and you hope God sees you, regardless of the circumstance, we're going to pray over you. If you feel alone and you're just hopeful that God sees you, would you mind just slipping up a hand and putting it right back down? It's just for God to see. God bless you. You may put them down. Others want to join these all over this room. It's just a faith moment. Anyone else before we pray? All right. Church, these are your brothers and sisters. Would you? There's some young people in the room who have lifted their hand. Would you take a moment as we pause and would you pray for your family members in this room that God would reveal himself to them, that they can know God sees them? Pray that now, please. Let them find the fullness of your love, God. See them, look upon them, listen to their voice and their cry. The second one is so personal, I hesitated even putting it in here, but I thought in this world we live in, man, church seems like the place we should be talking about this stuff. If you're, if you're abusive and you have a problem with anger, don't raise your hand to this, but... I need you to hand that to God right now. You may have all the image. People might not even dream that you're abusive. But you know that you are sometimes. And I want you to just give that to God right now. Lord, touch our hearts. Help us to understand this anger needs to be dealt with. God, lead us to the right people in our lives to get the counseling we need. To have a partner to really help us work through this. We're not going to conquer it on our own. And I pray that over you. Get some help.
We have counselors at this church we can recommend to you, but get some help. We love you too much to let you stay the way, the way you are. God does most of all. Uh, this other thing of abuse isn't about hitting or striking somebody. It's about authority. Some of you run businesses. Some of you are the boss. And bosses can be demeaning. They can be dominating. They can abuse power. And they can make people suffer in unique ways, emotionally. And I just want to say to those of you who employ people, lay this out to God and ask the question, am I abusive as a, as a leader, as a boss? Or am I someone that they can run to and I have mercy and I have grace? God, help us. Keep restoring us. Let us honor you with all that we are. Lastly, if you need Jesus, this is the right day. If you know you're separated from God, just say it right now. I need you, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me, my heart. I believe you died on that cross. And you rose from the dead. And I right now take that step. And I can't see the bottom. But I'm going to step right on your cross. And right on your resurrection. And I'm going to trust you for my future. For the glory of God. From this day forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen.